0: May the peace of Christ be with you. This is Molly Vetter, Senior Pastor of the Westwood United Methodist Church in Los Angeles. Welcome to our Sanctuary Gathering podcast. Here we share the sermon preached on Sunday as a part of our Sanctuary Gathering. We hope that in these words, you will be drawn closer to God and made more ready to love your neighbor. As a congregation, we embrace the words of the Hebrew prophet that are etched into the stairs that lead to our building. A calling to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We also believe that we're a richer congregation for the diversity of people who participate in our community, and we celebrate the diversity of age, race, gender identity, and sexual orientation that participate in our church. You are welcome in this place, and we hope you will participate We invite you to do your own theology, to wrestle with questions of faith as we seek out what it means to be faithful Christians today. You're welcome to join us not only by listening in to this podcast, but we also invite you to join in our congregational life. Every Sunday, you're welcome to join us for worship at 930 a.m. You can join us in our beautiful sanctuary in Los Angeles at the corner of Warner and Wilshire or online via our church Facebook page. All are welcome in our midst and we thank you for being a part of our church. May these moments be a blessing to
1: you today. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin For you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom There will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Our second gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. It takes place shortly after the passage that Nancy just read for us. It's the song that Mary sings after receiving that visit from the angel. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in a remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? O Holy God, may my words and our thoughts and our lives reflect the fullness and beauty of your grace. We pray in your holy name. Amen. This week, on this fourth Sunday of the season of Advent, we turn to Mary. Mary, who has been named and revered, lifted up and celebrated through many generations, is so often a focus of our attention in the season of Advent. But Mary's complicated, y'all. One of those heroes in our faith who seems to be one on whom we tend to put our expectations for women, for the behavior of women in the world. So, at various times in the history of the church in these 2,000 years since Christ's birth till now, we Lift up and celebrate different qualities that belong to Mary, sometimes emphasizing how meek and mild she is. Every time we read this scripture from the Gospel of Luke, I find myself cringing just a little because our English translation uses this English word virgin to define her identity, coming of course from a Greek word that was used more generically and commonly to refer to an unmarried woman, to a young woman, to a woman unattached to a man. Uh, in our contemporary English usage when we use the term virgin it focuses on a sort of world view that emphasizes sexual purity and the innocence of women and in dangerous and patriarchal ways can lend us to see women as uh, vulnerable in need of protection and their sexual identity is the primary thing we fixate on related to their identity. The story is a story of God showing up in the world in a young, unmarried woman, unattached yet to a man who becomes the one in whom, through whom, God enters the world. This is a wild story. The limitation of our language sometimes directs us to emphasize or see or get caught on particular pieces of a story, but I want to invite you this morning to believe and see the fullness and wonder of a radical thing that's happening through God in this world. A wonderful, wondrous, incredible, amazing, scandalous even, if we borrow a word from Pastor Diana this morning— Scandalous story of God arriving into the world in human form in the same way the rest of us do. Being birthed into the world, beginning as a baby, experiencing the full range of the challenges and gifts of human life, and also at the same time, somehow, presenting the eternal word, the Presence of our living God from the beginning. So scripture uh, is, gives us this wild story, and the church through the years continues to interpret and pass it on, to set it to music, to put it into art. And when we depict Mary, we get to choose how we will depict and represent this wild woman who is the one who bears God in the world. In Eastern Orthodoxy, she's named as Theotokos, the God-bearer, which is a very different sensibility from Mary, meek and mild. The song she sings, the text that I read just moments ago, sings of a deep understanding she had that something wild, something world-changing is happening in her and through her that matters not just for her or her family, but for everyone. God is in her accomplishing a turning over of everything, a reversal of the status quo. And maybe not even a reversal, but a flipping inside out. I like to believe that the promise she sings about, this hoped-for reign of God, isn't just taking the lowly and putting them in the thrones, but somehow changing the way power operates, changing the system in a radical and new way. It's possible to believe in this because God entered into the world in such an unusual way, coming through the body and life of a young, unmarried woman in a poor part of the world, a Jewish woman in ancient Palestine living under the threat of the Roman occupation in her own community, a powerless woman, a young person in a corner of the world from which power does not usually radiate, is the one through whom God enters the world. This is a radical story, a wild story. And as Mary sings her song, as Mary summons the courage to say yes to God, to give consent to this wild thing that will happen through her, she gives us all a way to imagine that we also are invited to participate in the living out of hope. But hope was Sunday one. Three weeks ago, back at the beginning of Advent, this morning our candle is a candle of love. So I've been thinking about love and what Mary's story has to say to us about love. I was thinking about that especially poignant line in the TV show WandaVision that came out two years ago, part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Any Marvel people out there? The whole story is a story of grief, WandaVision. And one of the characters who is the vision who has died offers this wisdom back to Wanda, who grieves him. He says, What is grief if not, but not love that persists? Grief is love that persists. A wild idea. And as Mary sings her song, as we read and revere her role in the Christmas story, I can't help but know that her story is going to include grief, right? It's the thing floating out in our minds, the coming story that points us all the way to Easter, a knowledge that part of the depth of gift that Mary offers to us is her willingness to participate in a story that will include unthinkable grief. If you are or have known a parent who has lost a child, I suspect you've touched on the edge of that deep and unfathomable grief. Mary is one who rejoices but also knows sorrow, whose story is one of hope and also loss of love that persists, that is strong, that triumphs. On this Sunday, as we celebrate love, as we light a fourth candle asking God to help us kindle love, we're asking God to help us love knowing that love includes loss and grief, that love sometimes requires our persistence in the face of unthinkable change and grief and loss. Love is not merely the sentimental sort of love that exists in bouquets of flowers and cheery greeting cards, but a kind of strong, persistent, triumphant, gritty, heartbreaking love that allows us to be in love with an imperfect and broken world. When I was in college, I had the gift of studying abroad my senior year in the fall semester in the country of Niger, a West African country where uh, in the capital city, Niemeh, where we lived, the predominant language is a language called Zarma. It's not much spoken in the world. There are only a few million Zarma speakers. As a part of our course, we had to take a semester of Zarma, uh, which was very useful for navigating the place where we were living. I came to learn that in Zarma, there is one word that can be translated as like, love, and want, which is complicated. In Zarma culture, if you see someone walking down the street and you say, I really love your necklace, you're also saying, I want your necklace. And there's a cultural expectation that if complimented, you would give the necklace to the person who made the compliment. Think how much this would change our interactions, right? You would (laughs) feel guilt and responsibility in complimenting someone's dress or behavior or possessions. It's a different way of conceiving of ownership and belonging and our community. But it also makes complicated understanding the word love. What does it mean to love something? Is it to want it? Is it different from liking? In my own uh, study of Greek, as perhaps you have learned in a theology class or Sunday school, we know that Greek has at least three words that we translate as love, three kinds of love, eros or romantic love, or brotherly love, kinship love, and agape, this kind of deep love that so often we describe the scripture as pointing us to, a kind of open-hearted love. In English, when we say the word love, we're left with a puzzle of figuring out what we're talking about. Is it mere affection, appreciation? Is it desire? Is it self-seeking or self giving. What does it mean to love? This season in our outdoor prayer stations and in the art that's displayed in the Narthex Gallery, we've been inviting you to engage the themes of Advent through visual art, through a set of collages made by Liberty Worth of our congregation. The one that we've chosen for today, the collage for love, is one that she made as she thought of Mary The colors she chose are deep reds and orange, and Mary is a dark black figure in the middle who is pondering. In the text that we read today from Luke, and in the text that will come up next Sunday, we're told that Mary pondered. She pondered what sort of a greeting it was that the angel Gabriel gave her. She pondered the gift that was Christ's birth. Liberty Worth's collage for today, called Pondering, is an invitation to that kind of deep reflection. Liberty made these collages in a season of her life when she had young kids at home. And a lot of the art forms, media that she loved, were difficult to access because life was complicated in that way that young children make life complicated. And collage was... A relatively simple, containable mess that could be easily picked up and put away on short notice without destroying things. Little pieces of old magazines that could be combined together, put out on the kitchen table, or put away on short notice. She was in a season of childbearing, a season of parenting, and Mary connected with that imagination. I suspect. I see in the piece for today an invitation to ponder love. It's strange combination of grief and hope. Parenting, for me, has been an ongoing exercise in naming specific hopes and then letting them go. I don't mean to say that nothing has gone like I imagined it but a lot of the specifics have been different from how I pictured. Maybe if you've invested in the life of a young person as an auntie or uncle or parent or neighbor or friend, you know that you enter into relationship with certain specific dreams and hopes, sometimes about things that you'll do together or about ways that they'll be, some of which come become realized, and some of which you have to let go. So much of life is this way. In our relationship with other humans, we have specific hopes, some of which come true, and some of which we have to let go. Even in the midst of sharing life together, there is a constant process of letting go and grieving of what won't be the way we had imagined in order to appreciate what is in an amplified way that grief carries over beyond the boundaries of this earthly life as we become practiced in letting go and grieving of what wasn't what we'd hoped, what cannot continue in the way that it has, in order to let love continue to grow. So this Advent, for me, this invitation to love, is an invitation to a love that holds both hope and grief. To sit with Mary, pondering the mystery of what sort of greeting this might be. This invitation to let her, herself, her body, be a part of the story of God. This invitation to let her heart expand, to offer a love that will persist in life and even through loss. The invitation of love is to that kind of resilient, strong, persistent, gritty, and daring love. I've been moved by the writing of Father Gregory Boyle, whose Homeboy Industries here in Los Angeles has made a real impact on our city. In his book, Tattoos on the Heart, he describes the pain of investing love in a young person whose life is cut short. And we humans who are aware of our finite boundaries, our vulnerabilities, and our limitations, we try to choose strategically where we're going to invest. Our money, our time, our prayer our energy, and there's a temptation as humans to want to invest our love, our time, our money, our energy, our prayers in places where it will go the way we hope. But there is great holy gift in making unreasonable, foolish investments of love because Love changes us when we offer it and is never lost. So because it doesn't go the way we'd hoped, doesn't mean the love is a waste. We're invited to love daringly and wholeheartedly, boldly for lost causes, to persist in prayer for peace in Gaza and for Israel, to persist in prayer for peace in the Democratic Republic of Congo, to persist in prayer for a Los Angeles that has no unhoused people, to persist in prayer for the dignity and acceptance of all our neighbors across diversities of language and economics and sexual orientation and class and ability and gender. We're called to dare to believe in love, to invest. In love, to appreciate present love and to present love to the world. To be the ones like Mary, who, though we ask what sort of a greeting this might be, when the voice of God visits us and beckons us to be a part of what God's doing in the world, nonetheless, let ourselves be used for the growth, for the bearing, for the sharing, for the presentation of love in a world of too many lost causes. May we be the ones who dare to persist, to persevere knowing full well that there will be grief, who dare to love and to be loved, to invest in one another and our community for the sake of what God is doing. The story is so good. When the angel Gabriel visits Mary, he begins with an invitation to not be afraid. And I love that the invitation to not be afraid precedes the instructions about God's goodness or what he, the angel is calling her to. The invitation to not be afraid comes at the beginning. So here it is at the end of my sermon. I love that God begins with an invitation to not be afraid because I hear it as a recognition that this isn't easy and that the living out of faithful love immediately brings anxiety to some of our shoulders, tenses some of our cores as we think about the people who are hard to love, the causes that seem impossible. The hopes we don't even dare to name because we're afraid they won't come true and our love will have been a waste. Before all of that, from the beginning, at the start of the interaction, the angel Gabriel says, do not be afraid. I hear a recognition that it's tempting. (laughs) It's tempting to be afraid. It's hard to believe that another thing is possible. It's dangerous and daring to open ourselves in a way that might look foolish to what God is doing. But we're called to actively set aside our fear, not because that's easy, but because it's good. We're called to choose not to be afraid, and then to persist, to present love to one another, and to let love be present and fleshed here among us in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors. May it be so. Amen.